How you guys doing? Good. Well, my name's Mike Crawford. Are we good with this? I pushed the button, so we good? We good, all right, great. Um, I live in Baltimore, Maryland. I met a few of you guys here because I've been here once before. And today I went, um, we, we typed in actually the wrong address, which is why we're a little bit late. And we went over that big, tall bridge you guys have over there. Who built that bridge? <laughs> like you're literally way up there and the concrete's like that tall. And my car is like a low rider and I can see over. Um, so needless to say, I had a real good prayer time with the Lord up there. And my wife was sleeping. So I'm straight with the Lord this morning. I'm just telling you right now. All the problems I had when I came here are totally gone. Um, but um, yeah, almost seven years ago, my family and I relocated from California and we came out here to start a church called Freedom Church. And we started with 16 people in our home uh, there in Baltimore, Maryland, right in the city. And today we've got about 250 people. And uh, we spent the first three years, 10 months, and two days, and I counted, in a gym, much like this, setting up, tearing down, setting up, tearing down, and then one of uh, the local Baptist churches dissolved, we went in and we were able to merge with them, and so today we have a building, and um, it's just great to be a part of a church plant. I have an affinity for church plant, so um, I know some of you who are involved in setup and tear down don't necessarily wake up thrilled that you have to put up all this stuff and tear it up and set it down, but I remember these days, and so I, there's a soft spot in my heart for churches that are willing to go uh, almost like out of the box to do some things, and so I wanna commend you guys for doing what you do. I wanna commend you for meeting here. I don't know what God's plans are for you in the future. You probably at some point maybe want a, a home of your own in that sense, but I wanna encourage you to persevere and to continue on. And I wanna encourage you, as I know you're well taught, that you know the church isn't the building, and you know the church isn't a place. Church becomes a place when the people get there. And uh, I wanna encourage you that what you do every Sunday and throughout the week, what you do in your tithes and your offerings and how you serve, how you've come together, and how you've chosen to be a part of this body as it touches not only here in Littertown, but also around the whole world um, really matters, and it really is inspiring. So I wanna thank you guys for your faithfulness and all you guys have done. I'm a real good friend of Brad O'Brien's, and so um, we tease each other a lot, but he's a good guy, and I know you guys have been supportive of him. Um, I also love uh, Pastor Mark Dooley. You guys know Pastor Mark Dooley, right? Yeah, uh, he's a good guy too, and uh, I love to beat him at golf too, and he hates that, so remind him of that too. Um, he hits his ball straight, mine go farther, but they don't go straight, they go all over the place. So we have a lot of fun with that. Um, you, guys are, you guys are really a blessing because in my job as state director of missions, one of the things I get to do is go around and see churches and it's always a blessing to see churches in the convention start churches and so this is just a blessed situation. Uh, I wanna pray and then I wanna talk to you a little bit about something that you're very familiar with but I hope I can get you to think uh, a little bit, um, you might say more critically about something that'll bless your soul and concern, concerning the grace of God. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you 
for your kindness to us. Thank you for how you've worked in the church. Thank you for all the gifts you've given and the opportunities you've given. And thank you for bringing a people here this morning. And I just pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds and our eyes, that we would hear from you. It's our greatest need is to hear from you. So we do ask you to forgive us of our sins. We ask you to be gracious to us and come and bring the word of God alive to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm gonna be working out of several texts in the Bible, but I wanna start in the book of Ephesians. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, you you can go there, Ephesians chapter one, and this is going to be a topical message on the grace of God, but with with some specific, I'm gonna be honing in like a sniper on certain elements or or components of the grace of God. My goal is that when you leave here today, you'll, you'll have a, a more specific understanding of the grace of God than what we tend to walk away with more of a generic understanding of the grace of God, okay? So in Ephesians chapter one, verse one, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter one, verse seven, it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins and according with the riches of his grace. This term grace is not only riddled throughout all of scripture, but it is a very prevalent um, theme in the book of Ephesians. Of course, when we go to chapter two, we have a lot of uh, texts on grace and what that grace is, and probably the most familiar verse in chapter two is verse eight. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of work, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepare in advance for us to do. So what is grace? Most Christians, you go to Lifeway Bookstore or you're eating your Chick-fil-A or whatever and you get a revelation because you're eating Christian chicken except on Sunday um, and you get a revelation and you, you'll, you'll hear Christians say, well, grace is unmerited favor. And uh, what I like to do is get us out of speaking Christianese because we say things and then we don't define them and we assume that not only we understand what we said, but we also assume that everybody else who's listening to us understands what we're saying and oftentimes none of us really know what we're saying. We just know it's the right answer so we say it over and over and over and over and over again and we shake our heads and we go, good, check, Bible study's good, we got our doctrine good, we're not heretics, we're going to heaven, we're good. Um, grace is, grace is unmerited favor. Grace is favor. It's exactly what it is. It seems to me that every text where we see grace, it is something that comes from God to us. In chapter one, verse two, it says grace and peace to you from who? God. So whatever grace is, it's coming from God, right? Um, whatever grace is, it's coming from God. In chapter two, we read uh, in, in, uh, in verse eight, for it is by grace you have been saved. So not only is grace something that comes from God, we know that grace is something that does something. Grace is not stagnant. Grace is not just a principle. Grace is not, dare I even say, just some solo truth floating out there. 
Grace is a little bit more organic and moving and feeling and thriving. It's active. Grace is not passive. Grace is active. It comes from God and then it does something. And not only does it does something, it does a lot of stuff. Grace does a lot of stuff. As a matter of fact, someone wrote, who wrote this letter also said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And though I worked harder than all of them, it was all done by grace. Paul would argue that everything he ever did was by grace. So not only does grace do something, Paul would argue theologically that grace is responsible for all good things. What is grace? Grace is favor. It can be favor in salvation. It can be favor in sanctification. It can be favor in a surgery. It can be favor in a trial. It can be favor on a Sunday. It can be favor in a song. It can be, it can, it's just favor. It's, it's, it comes from God and it's favor. And it depends on the circumstance as to what that grace will manifest itself to be. Grace is favor. I want you to look at the book of Romans with me. Romans chapter 11. I wanna drill down on this a little bit more. Grace is, is, is favor. In Romans chapter 11, Paul is making an argument in, in regards to Israel that they're not cast off, but in the first six verses, he reminds us of what grace is and how that grace showed up in Israel. I asked then, did God reject his people? Verse one of chapter 11 of Romans, by no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I'm the only one left and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Verse six, and if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be what? Grace. Grace is favor. It is favor. It is something that comes from God and it, and it, and it, it does stuff for us. It, it does a lot of stuff for us is what grace does. Um, look at the book of Hebrews in chapter four. Grace is favor, it's what it is. In Hebrews chapter four, verse 14, we read, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Now watch this. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find what? Grace for what reason? To help us in where? Time of need. So it doesn't appear to me, and we could go on and on and on, it doesn't appear to me that grace is holed up in soteriology. 
the doctrine of salvation. Typically, when we talk about grace, we typically talk about it in reference to our salvation because most of the times when grace is discussed, it's discussed in light of our salvation. But in Hebrews chapter four, he says, you need grace in your time of need. So when I was driving over that bridge this morning when y'all almost killed me, right? I needed grace. Like, for real, the brother is afraid of heights. I don't do that stuff. That's crazy, I'm telling you. Whenever I have to go on the Eastern Shore, I'm thinking, I gotta cross that Bay Bridge. And I pray Jesus' prayer, Lord, if there's any other way. <laughs> like, doesn't y'all have a boat or something? I can get on a boat? I mean, please, they should have like the boat where you put your car like they do, you know what I mean, drive across. I pay, I pay like $100 across that bridge. So, so listen, grace is favor. That's what grace is. Time would fail us if we went into the book of Acts. How many times did it say that the grace of God was upon them and they did miracles? The grace of God was upon them and many came to Christ. That's what grace is. Grace is favor from God. That's what it is. Now, when I read texts like this, it gets me really excited about grace because Hebrews 4.16 says, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. That means this is telling me something about grace, okay? Not only is it definitively or from a definition standpoint favor, it tells me as well that grace must be inexhaustible. Grace must be inexhaustible. How do I know that? Because God says, when I have need, I go to the throne of grace where the grace is dispensed and I can ask, and he doesn't say, but only once a day. He doesn't say, on Sundays. He doesn't say, during a worship song. He doesn't say, meet with your pastor. He doesn't say, in your community group. He doesn't say that. He says, when you're in a time of need, you've got a sympathetic high priest. He's been there, done that, yet without sin. He knows what it's like to be weak. He knows what it's like to be lonely. He knows what it's like to be forsaken. He knows what it's like to go, he knows, he knows. He knows what it's like to be forsaken. He knows. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows. Pain in the body, he knows. Mental anguish, he knows. He knows all that. And he says, when you have need, you go to him, which tells me, man, I don't know, I don't know if there's a limit. I really don't. It's inexhaustible. I would argue theologically, since it's God's grace and God's eternal and God doesn't have a fuel meter of grace, man, you know, I've been exhibiting, I've been dispensing this grace for like 6,000 years and it's kind of going down, angels. What are we gonna do? And you know, these guys, up in the city we call everyone fools, but I won't call you fools, I don't wanna offend you. <laughs> uh, these guys, these guys are particularly sinful. So they need a lot of grace. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where there is a gas meter for, for, for grace because it comes from God. And, and God's eternal and God's, all of God's attributes are great, right? Psalm 145, I think it's three. Great is the Lord. That means everything about God is great. So grace is, is part, comes from God so it's inexhaustible. You remember we read the text in Ephesians chapter one and verse seven, you, did, did you catch what it says? In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, and according with the 
riches of his grace. The riches of his grace. So grace is favor, and guess what? God's got a lot of it. And I know, I know we're in election season, so when I start talking about riches, you guys think about Donald Trump, right? That's your favorite dude. And a lot of you probably think he's black, he's voting for Hillary, not so. <laughs> Um, uh, most African Americans do tend to vote Democratic, but I'm not one of them, all right? Um, and Donald's not my favorite either, right? Matter of fact, I should just run and be president. You know what I mean? Amen, all right? All right, okay, all right, that, that's it. It was settled, right? Uh, my wife would make a very fine first lady, you know what I mean? Uh, we have a nice little Rottweiler that would run around the White House, and they've never had a Rottweiler in the White House, you know what I mean? And we, got, we already got one African-American president. We can have another one back-to-back, -back, you know what I mean? And, uh, and I only need four years. That's all I need. I don't even need to campaign. I'll just, I'll bow out after four years. I mean, it would be, be a great thing. Now, this is crazy, right? All right, um, we're talking about riches. Listen, grace is inexhaustible. Grace is, there is nothing like God's grace. Because everything we know of in terms of resources, we think it will run out. If you're a family and you have growing kids, when they were two, three, and four, you could go to Walmart or wherever you go, Hy-Vee or whatever, and you could buy boxes of cereals, and those joints would be there for like two weeks. When you have teenage boys, you buy a box, and it's gone the next morning, and you're like, what happened? Well, I woke up at two and I was hungry. Like, dude, that was like four bucks, gone, right? And, and we, everything we think, we're running out of oil, we're running out of energy, the sun's gonna blow up in 10 billion years. Like, who cares if it runs out of energy in 10 billion years? I'm not gonna be here. No one we know is gonna even be here. Um, like, everything we know of is running out. So we tend to think, since everything we know of is running out, we tend to think grace runs out too. Grace never runs out. We sing this song you guys have probably sung it too. Your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. Do we even realize what we're singing or are we just being Christians, like singing? Do you realize what we're singing? We're singing that love will never run out. Why will love never run out? Because it's not our love, it's his love. And everything that comes from God is inexhaustible. The riches of his grace. That means, that means God has more grace than you'll ever need or use. Right over our heads. More grace than I could ever see. The, the inexhaustibleness of God's grace is what has led some people astray because they conclude, well, if God is that gracious, I'm going to leave church and I'm going to DC and I'm getting my party on. This is why in Jude, it says that some prophets have seeped in and turned the grace of God into licentiousness. That means they take, they look, well, I mean, if God is that gracious, then I can just live however I want. If God's that rich, I can live however I want. And let me tell you this, according to Jude and according to Paul in Romans 6, if grace can't be turned into licentiousness, then it's not grace. That's the mark of God's grace. Grace that cannot be abused, it ain't grace. So I just wanna tell you, grace is favor, it comes from God. Grace is inexhaustible. It, it, it is more than you need, more than you'll ever use. 
I remember talking to, uh, one time I was talking to my adopted dad and he had made a lot of money. I mean, a lot, a lot, a lot of money. He said, how much money? So much money that one point he and three other guys bet $20 million a piece on the European economy and he lost. And his response was, eh, I lost by a few mil. That's a lot of money to just bet. Grace is inexhaustible. But I'm gonna tell you something else about grace. Grace is alien, alien. Now, I, I like alien movies typically. Some of them are a little, they get weird sometimes. But I kinda like alien movies. Have you noticed that in all alien movies, the people are always the bad guys? Like, the, ultimately, even the bad aliens come to judge us because we're like ruining the earth or we're doing, like, you notice that? It's, 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 it's really strange, huh? But, um, but, but in the alien movies, but grace is alien. What do you mean by that? Well, it's because it's, it comes from God. Alien means not from here. Grace is unlike anything you've ever experienced. That is why it's so hard to believe it, that's why it's so hard to apply it, and that's why it's so hard to practice it, because it's alien. Just because we're a church and we say the word grace maybe 100 times a week and we hear it 100 times a week, and if you listen to Shine 951, you hear it 200 times a week, doesn't mean that you get grace. Grace is alien because it doesn't originate from earth. It comes from God. It is unlike anything you've ever experienced. You think, well, I was raised in a good family. You think, well, yesterday in line, someone let me cut in. That was really gracious. Grace is alien. Um, Moses put it like this in Deuteronomy chapter four when he was describing to Israel. He says, you know, what nation among the face of the earth has ever had a God do what our God has done for us? It's alien. Completely alien. There is no place where you can go other than God to really experience and know this grace. It's, it comes only from God. And, 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 it's, and it's housed completely in God. It is grace and peace to you from God. And which also means to us that this grace is incomparable. It means that you can't compare it to anything. You cannot compare it to anything. You say, you, people, you hear people say, you know, you know, we practice Christmas and we give gifts because God gave us gifts. Eh, wrong. We give out of limited resources. We give with ill motives. If we being evil know how to give good gifts to our kids, how much more him? It, it not, it's not a direct comparison. It's incomparable. There is no place on earth, there is no experience on earth where you can get 100% pure grace other than from God. It's totally incomparable. This is one of the reasons why we struggle with grace because we tend to interpret and create and cultivate theology out of our own experiences. So for us, whether it's our upbringing or our current job situation or our current church situation, we traffic in grace. No doubt the grace of God is in this church and in you and working itself out, but, but don't get it twisted. It comes from God. 
There is a, 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 an element of incomparableness to this grace. It, it's, it's unbelievable. Grace will have you scratching your head sometime. It really will. And, and in a few minutes, we're gonna, we're gonna get down into illustrating this grace. But, but grace is unmerited, and we caught this, right? We caught this in Ephesians chapter two, that it's unmerited. We caught it because Paul says in, chapter, um, in verse one of Ephesians two that we were dead in our sins and we used to live and follow the ways of the world uh, of, uh, and, and we were in alignment with the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit that is now at work in those who are disobedient. And we all lived in verse three of chapter two at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the, its desires and thoughts. And like the rest of mankind, we were by nature deserving wrath. But because of God's great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, it's incomparable, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And here it is. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. And then he follows it up in verse 10 by saying, you're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God already has the works prepared. So it's nothing. So let's, let's drill down in this, and let's make sure we get this, because this is another one of those. Yeah, it's unmerited. Here's what we say. Merit consists of two things, okay? Being and doing. That's what merit is. You, you merit things by who you are and what you do, right? I'm Pastor Mike, so I get to preach. I'm Pastor Mike, so people will call me Pastor Mike. I'm going to get things that certain people won't get because of who I am. I'm the state director of missions, right? I, I've been tasked with, with, the, with the great privilege of stewarding the resources of the Mid-Atlantic Baptist Network and the North American Mission Board, which have gathered together to plant churches in Maryland and Delaware. Because of that, most church planters are very nice to me. <laughs> they are. Oh, Mike Crawford, you're the guy in charge of church planting. Yeah, I need to talk to you. You look really good today, buddy. I do, don't I? A little, little bit like Denzel, you know what I mean? Dapper, you know what I mean? They say, treat me nice, because they're like, he's a state director of missions. He kinda has some say-so of what's gonna happen. Merit is based on who you are and what you do. The president of the United States gets things because he's the president. When he's done being the president, they will still call him the president. The first lady will always be the first lady. Nancy Reagan just died. She was the first lady. And believe me you, in most places in the country where people are halfway sane, even though they may disagree with Obama, like I do in some things, if the president goes someplace, you think the president is gonna go to like, um, show up at a Ravens game in three years and sit at the top of the stadium? 
No. Even if he goes, look, me, Sasha, Malia, and, and my wife, we just want to chill. It's like, you're the president. You're not sitting at the top of the stadium. Yeah, but I'm not the president anymore. Dude, no, it's not happening. They might even say, Get, give your seats up. Right? Because he's the president. Merit is based on who you are, but merit's also based on what you do. If you show up at the Summer Olympics this summer, 2016 in Brazil, and you don't get sick and die of Zika or something like that, but you're there, and you get on the blocks, and the gun goes, you, yeah, and you get a gold medal, guess what? All of a sudden, because of what you do, you're on the Wheaties box. Now you're in New York City, and you're getting thrown around cabs, and people want to get their pictures, and Nike wants to give you a million-dollar check. Why? Because of what you did. If you're Taylor Swift and you write a song again about a boy who kissed you and then left you, guys, don't date her because she will, she will jack you up, dude. She's going to write a song about you, man. She's going to get you, man. That's why no dudes want to mess with her because she's like, no, I'm going to be a song, man. That's what her. But look, look, so she gets Grammy Awards because of what she does. Look, grace is alien and incomparable. Everything you know is based on who you are and what you do. That's why when it comes to God's grace, we're like, huh? Because grace isn't based on who you are and what you do. And even sound, gospel-centered churches struggle with this. Because everything in us wants to make grace based on who we are and what we do. But the scripture is so clear that we were dead, but by grace we've been saved. That, that we were the ones who God had to come rescue. That the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. The scripture is so clear in Ephesians 2.8. It is by grace we have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. Even the faith is a gift of God. The scriptures are so clear that everything comes from God. We gotta drill down on this, this is so good. This is Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In verse nine, I'm the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And verse 10 of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than them all, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. It's all of grace. See, that's the explanation of why Paul, who used to be Saul, who, by the way, if Saul was alive today, he would be with ISIS. Because when you, when you read Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 8, before he goes to Lifeway bookstores and he's a hero, he was a terrorist. If you read what he says about himself, even in, in verse nine, that I'm not fit to be an apostle because of what I did. You realize that Paul dragged people, human beings, he dragged them to jail? You realize he did that? Do you realize he, he, he facilitated the murder of Christians? Do you realize kids were like in anguish and Paul, like he did that. 
But see, grace says, I don't care. I'm gonna be gracious. It was, it was grace that saved the thief on the cross. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What kind of sinner's prayer is that? What about I'm sorry? What about the confession for sin? What about can I get down and get baptized and join the church and get in a life group and go on a missions trip and, and give to Annie? Remember me? That's your thing? Remember me? When you come in your kingdom, I mean, I don't mean to belittle the thief on the cross, but that's what grace does. Grace looks at a thief and says, you don't know anything, you've never been to the church, all you got is remember me. I'll remember you, no problem. Because grace doesn't respect persons or works. That's what makes it so amazing, but that's also what makes it scandalous. Because there's something in us sometimes that says, really, God? Really? Grace is unmerited. That means God gives it to you not based on who you are and not based on what you've done. So it doesn't matter what you achieve to in the Christian faith. If you become a pastor, heck, if you plant 80 churches, if your church goes to 8,000, if your church stays at 30, if you have 10 kids, if you can't have any kids, if you adopt, if you do not adopt, if you homeschool, if you don't homeschool, if you never cheat on your wife, if you cheat on your wife, this is where it goes. Grace does not does not suggest that you should sin, right? So that you get more grace, Romans 6.1. But grace says, I do things irrespectively of person and works. So this is a text that um, blows my mind. And it illustrates grace for me. You know that... Um, you know we have this guy, David, right? You remember him? Uh, and you remember what, what, you remember what David's famous for? Uh, the thing he's most famous for, he's most famous for his, 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 his Goliath, right? When he killed the UFC giant and they had a UFC battle there. That's what it was, it was UFC. It just didn't have cable TV and promoters. That's what it was, it was like he took him down and then and then you remember he had the thing with, with, with Bathsheba? You remember that? Um, and you remember, you remember what happened to their baby? The baby died, right? You remember that, right? And we think that's good math, right? That, that math makes sense, that's math, okay? You have all these wives already. You're the most powerful guy. You go up on your roof where you probably should have been out to war and you see a woman, she's naked. You call for her. You sleep with her. She says, oop, I'm pregnant. And then you try to cover it up. And when that won't work, you have her husband murdered and you try to cover it up. It makes sense. Two plus two equals four, baby dies. That's justice. Yep, that, that looks, that's great. Let me read to you something that doesn't make sense. After the baby dies, 2 Samuel 12, 24 says, then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and he went into her and made love to her. She gave birth to a son and they named him Solomon. 
the Lord loved him, and because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah, beloved of the Lord. What? I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just, I'm not trying to be anything. Like, what? Are you, are you for real right now? Like, are you for real? This, then he, then he goes back into her and she has a baby. And not only does she have a baby, like, are you kidding me? David gets to have Solomon? Of all the families that could have, you could have given Solomon to, it's David? Solomon, the greatest king ever. Solomon, the wisest king ever. Solomon, beloved of the Lord. How did that happen, Grace? Grace is unmerited favor, isn't it? Just grace. Just grace. It was gracious. It's just like God. Let me conclude with this. I want to conclude with illustrating grace out of Genesis chapter three. We know the story very well. We know that the serpent deceived Eve and she gave food, uh, the, the fruit to her, her husband and they both ate. And um, this chapter has several, several components of grace. I just want to point them out to you real quickly. Um, the first sign of grace in Genesis chapter three is actually found in verse nine, of eight and nine. It said, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? <laughs> I love that because we're basically doing the same thing. You know, one of the reasons why Adam and Eve were hiding is because they, they didn't understand grace. They understood penalty. They're now experiencing fear and shame and guilt because they've sinned just like we do. They're afraid because they know they broke God's law. They're full of shame because they're now naked and they know they're naked and they feel guilt because, yeah, we did something wrong. So they're hiding, that's what they're doing. And, we're, and people still hide. And one of the best places to hide is actually in church because nobody will mess with you in church. How are you? Oh, good, how are you? Really, you're good? Is that why you were wondering if you married the right person on your way here? Is that why you were arguing with God all this week? Statistically speaking, we don't like to talk about this in church. In a group this big, somebody this week thought about suicide in this room. I preached at a conference yesterday, 900 men. People tell me, don't talk about suicide. No one's ever gonna shut me up about suicide. You don't want me to talk about suicide? Don't schedule me. Even Moses was suicidal. Moses! And the church doesn't want to talk about suicide. Shh. These guys were hiding. And one of the best places to hide is in church. And you know what grace is? 
Grace is when you sin against God and you do exactly what God tells you not to do and you listen to the devil and you get all twined and you get all deceived and then you know God's coming the song, and you start hiding. You know what grace does? Grace goes, it doesn't matter. Where are you? Grace is when God seeks and saves sinners that are lost that really don't want to be found. Grace is when God comes and gets you in the middle of all of your mess, when you're hiding and conniving and you're despairing and you're frustrated and you think grace is about merit, about being a good little Christian and you've done it again. You think I've already asked God for forgiveness a thousand times and his, his grace fuel is out. You think grace is just like your dad or your mom or your pastor that are so disappointed with you on Facebook. It's all this shaming, it's all this guilt, it's all this fear grace is not like that grace is you sinned and here comes God after you where are you well I'm hiding and I'm afraid because I'm naked so we're hiding well who told you were naked well, did you eat from the tree? Well, you, you, the woman, see, this is what happened, and then, and then this, and then that, and then this, and then that, and you know the story, how he, he first, the first person that God addresses is the serpent, not them. He goes to the serpent, and he says, you know what? I see what you did, you're gonna crawl on your belly, and I'm going to crush you with my son. That's what he does. God advocates for them, and that's the second sign of grace, that he didn't go after them first, he went after the serpent, and we miss this stuff in Genesis 3, because we're getting to Matthew to get to the gospel, because it's Easter. The gospel's in Genesis chapter 3, and it's full of grace. Where are you? You don't believe, see, here's what we don't believe. We don't believe that God wants us, because we're so bad. Well, then go to AA and get yourself together. See how that works for you. Because now you just believe that grace is based on what? Who you are and what you do. What does the Bible say? It ain't based on who you are and what you do. And so he goes after the serpent and he talks to man, he talks to woman, and he, did, one more thing. In verse 21, it says this, unbelievable. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and what? Clothed them. Why'd God do that? They already said they sewed fig leaves together. They were hiding. Why would God put more clothes on them? The theologians say, well, that's, that's, a, that's a prototype of the gospel. God, that was the first sacrifice. God killed an animal. It doesn't even say that in Genesis. They say God killed an animal, took the skins off, and put them on them. Because we watch like the cavemen movies and we know like they kill the wolves and put the, you know, all this stuff and whatever, whatever. And we, we see all this stuff. Maybe. You know what I think? So they were hiding, right? And they sewed fig leaves. Why? Because they were naked. Because they felt shame and guilt and fear. So their nakedness and their shame and fear and guilt was keeping them from what? A relationship with God. Right? That's why they were hiding. So what God does is says, that figly stuff that you sown wasn't good enough because if it was, you wouldn't have been hiding. 
you would have been, you would have heard me walking and you would have came to me. But it wasn't good enough to, to, to do it and it's still hindering. So what God does is I'm gonna give you clothes so we can, we can, we can get it in. We live in a shame culture. And now we've been giving tools to really shame people. You know what those tools are called? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, blogs. Major Christian man falls, everyone writes a blog about it. 21 points on this person, 13 points, five reasons why I'm disappointed. Two seconds, it's, ah, that's what we do. What did God do when Adam and Eve sinned? He clothed them. See, there's something in us that's like, no, let them go around all ashamed and naked and pay for it and hide. And God in his grace comes and he says, no, I'm gonna clothe you. Now I know you're sinful, so I'm gonna put an angel up and I'm gonna banish you so that you don't eat the fruit and live forever. That's also God's grace as well. So let me ask you, okay? Where are you at this morning? What have you learned about God's grace that maybe you never knew before? And what have you learned about God's grace this morning that has challenged what you already knew? And what is God inviting you to this morning? I don't believe in accidents, I believe in God's sovereignty. In 1987, I was on the beach in, in, in Oxnard, California with a pen and a paper planning how I was gonna kill myself. That's when I first heard the voice of God say, go buy a Bible. I didn't know what it meant, but I thought, I'll go buy a Bible, I'll go read it, I'll read the Bible, I'll kill myself, and then I'll go to heaven, and God will say, why should I let you in? And I'll say, I read the Bible. Sounds like the gospel to me who I am, what I did. Problem is, I started reading the Bible and I met this guy named Jesus in the Bible who was forgiving people, loving on people, letting prostitutes come near him, seeking and saving lost people, arguing with religious people, telling me he's the, he's the truth and the life and he's gracious and cleansing people and lifting burdens and I'm like, I wanna follow that guy. Where are you at this morning? Is God saying to you, where are you? And you're hiding, you're hiding in your room, you're hiding in your sports, you're hiding in your job, you're hiding in your marriage, you're hiding in your kids. Are you hiding? It's time to come out. It's time to come out. It's time to come to God. He's seeking you. He wants you. You say, but, 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 but. Grace doesn't have anything to do with your PhD and your title and all of your status, Facebook status, married, single, 22, good times, spring break. It doesn't have anything to do with that. It has nothing to do with what you have done, are doing, or will do. It has everything to do with an alienness and an incomparableness and an inexhaustibleness of God to love you forever and ever and ever and ever. A love that nothing will ever separate you from. Do you even believe that's real? It is real. And Jesus says, anyone who comes to me, I won't cast them out. And some of you guys are Christians and you need to come again, not to get saved, but to come back to him. 
you need to be restored in your relationship with God. Because you've been messing, I don't know what you've been doing. Trust me, I'm not crazy. The day God tells me to shut up and stop saying this message, I will. But there's no accidents. There's a reason why a guy who was born in California in 1968, moved to Maryland in 2009, had no idea there was even a place on the planet called Leonardtown, is here this morning talking about grace. Someone needed to hear this. My prayer is that today will be the day of salvation, that you trust God, you come to him, and recognize that he's gracious. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for a reminder of the grace that is alien, the grace that means favor, the grace that is incomparable, a grace that's inexhaustible. Lord, a a grace that's unmerited. Thank you for all the illustrations of grace in the Bible, whether it's Saul turning into Paul, or it's David, or whether it's the garden. Thank you for how you have invited us again, graciously, to come to the throne of grace, where we can find help in our time of need. And God, I wanna thank you for this church because I see so much grace here. I see the grace of God is evident here in this church. And I wanna praise you and thank you because it's come from you. You've done an amazing work. And I wanna commend the people to your word which is able to build them up and to give them that inheritance according to your grace. I want to thank you for the pastors and the leaders and everyone who serves here. And Lord, would you please draw us to yourself today. May we have real relational exchanges with you today. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.